What's up, kin folk? It's RJ Young. I am not on a step. Now, welcome to episode number five of the number one ranked show. And today, we get to talk with Pat Sertan about what it was like to be a corner at Alabama, which many of you will know is the position that Nick Saban coaches the hardest and perhaps one of the reasons why Pat Sertan turned out to be not just the SEC Defensive Player of the Year on a national championship team, but the first cornerback to win that award at the University of Alabama. We get into that. We get into his relationship with his father growing up in Plantation, Florida, playing at American Heritage, and what he is looking forward to about playing in the NFL. Also want to get to your questions about one SEC team and whether or not they're going to be back. And let's do some comps. I love comps. They're a lot of fun. But first, when Nick Saban finished his last season as a player at Kent State in 1972, he believed and he was through with football forever. And what did he aspire to do with his life? Run a car dealership. Imagine a young Nick Saban with a mullet and a white blazer, salmon-colored polo, and beige wingtips standing on the lot claiming he's about to cut you one hell of a deal at Saban's truck, SUV, and sedans. But that ain't how it went. What had happened was Don James convinced Saban to stay on as a grad assistant for the Golden Flashes, and that decision sparked the greatest college football coaching career in the 151-year history of the sport. Over the course of nearly 50 years as a coach, Saban has developed his own philosophy for not just competing, but also dominating the game, called the process. Inside the process, he developed a system for analytically grading recruits. He taught his staff to evaluate dozens of characteristics among the players they were recruiting. He measured everything from toughness to hip flexibility to academic achievement, and he was meticulous. As Monty Burke wrote in his book, Saban, The Making of a Coach, Saban truly had a system. Different colored dots were put next to names. Green meant the kid had character issues, and red meant potential academic problems. Eventually, all of those bits of information were processed into an overall grade from one to five, with one being the best. To date, the best grade an incoming recruit ever received is 1.8, and that was Julio Jones. The Tao of Saban is driven by a central ethos. No one is perfect, and the process of winning is more important than actually winning. In his book, How Good Do You Want to Be? A Champion's Tips on How to Lead and Succeed, Saban said, quote, Believe it or not, some people are not wired to accept success. They don't really enjoy it. They're more content going back to work than reveling in success. I guess I'm one of those people, end quote. Only one of those people might be able to put together one of the greatest recruiting classes of all time. And he owned a stake in a car dealership. Four of them, actually. After his seventh national title, including six in Tuscaloosa, let us assess Saban's 2020 Alabama Crimson Tide squad, which featured Pat Sertan, among others, who we'll talk with a little bit later, and might be as close to perfection as the never-satisfied coach has come. The 2004 USC squad holds the claim to the greatest team of the BCS era, with Coach Pete Carroll, quarterback Matt Leinart, and running back Reggie Bush, the Trojans began the season as the preseason number one team in the country. Over the next five months, 
They ran the table, 11-0, en route to a 55-19 skull-dragging of my number two-ranked Oklahoma Sooners in the Orange Bowl. They beat an Oklahoma team that featured Jason White, Adrian Peterson, and a Hall of Fame coach in Bob Stoops, who led a staff that boasted Brent Venables, Bo Pelini, Kevin Sumlin, and Kevin Wilson, among others. Before giving up 55 to USC, Oklahoma hadn't given up more than 35 all season. Had the Sooners put up 55 on USC and held the Trojans to 19, they'd be the best team of that era. That's how important those teams are. Venables was the defensive coordinator for one of the best teams of the modern era because 2018 Clemson is still the best team of the CFP era. Not only did the Tigers run the table 15-0, one of two teams, including 2019 LSU, to accomplish that feat in the AP poll era, but also the original Death Valley Tigers did so without giving up more than 35 points in a single game. In fact, in Clemson's last three games of the season, the ACC title game, Cotton Bowl playoff semifinal, and national title game, the Tigers gave up a combined 29 points and handed Saban the worst loss of his career at Alabama with a 44-16 route in Santa Clara, California to win the national championship. That Clemson team gave up 13.1 points per game in an era in which scoring has exploded. That's also the reason 2019 LSU and 2020 Alabama aren't the best teams of the era. The Tigers gave up 21.9 points per game. The Tide gave up 19.4, even as both averaged better than 48 points per game. Defense wins championships and Clemson's 2018 defensive scoring feat might never be repeated. And that loss is one of the only blemishes on an otherwise otherworldly 2017 Alabama recruiting class. There's certainly an argument for that class being the best of all time, too. Alabama's 2017 class already counts four first-round NFL draft selections. Tua Tagovailoa, Jedrick Wills, Henry Ruggs, and Jerry Judy were each selected among the first 15 picks in 2020. If Devontae Smith, Mac Jones, or Najee Harris go in the first round, and at least one of them will, that will make five first-rounders from one class with a chance for as many as nine, depending on how the NFL evaluates defenders Christopher Allen, LeBron Ray, and Dylan Moses. Is it likely that nine players from one class go in the first round? No, but the possibility is there, and that's the point. The 2017 class put together a 51-4 record. It boasts four top five Heisman finalists, including three in 2020, nine All-Americans, three college football playoff appearances, and two national titles. It's only really that team, the only one to run the SEC 11-0, and it finished 13-0, wrapping up a perfect season with a 52-24 shellacking that wasn't as close as the score indicates over number three and previously undefeated Ohio State. The 2020 Alabama team became the first team to have a quarterback, running back, and wide receiver selected to the Associated Press All-America First Team since the team began featuring two wide receivers and two running backs in 1980, according to Fox Sports Research. All three players were in the 2017 class. Jones, Smith, and Harris. The only other class to consider in the modern era is yet another group of Saban Super Saiyans who probably performed their summer conditioning on planet Vegeta. That's the 2008 class. The nucleus of the 2008 class consisted of Julio Jones, Mark Barron, Courtney Upshaw, 
Mark Ingram, Marcel Darius, Terrence Cody, and Dante Hightower. That class won three national titles in four years and counted five first-round picks. It put together an overall record of 60-7. and seven. Those tied players became the first class to win three national titles in a four-year span since Nebraska performed the feat in 94, 95, and 97. And it bears noting that 95 Huskers team is one of the five best all-time. So is this 2020 Alabama team. Indeed, the five best teams of all time are 1945 Army, 95 Nebraska, 18 Clemson, and 19 LSU, and this most recent Alabama team. That's three teams in the past three years that have been absolute juggernauts for their season of dominance in the sport, and they've done it all with scholarship limits. The 2008 class counted 32 members, and the 2017 class counted 29 enrollees. The NFL's ultimate college football evaluation begins tomorrow with the NFL draft. There's still some sorting to do, but this class is the greatest I've ever seen, including the 08 Alabama class. What's clear, though, is that Tuscaloosa is home to the greatest recruiting class of the BCS era, 08, and the CFP era, 2017, though the argument changes a bit when we're considering the single best team. And with multiple first-rounders all but assured in 2021, it's interesting to try to identify the best players Saban ever coached at Alabama. There are really just three choices here for some, but they're all wrong. Until Saban arrived in Tuscaloosa in 2007, an Alabama player had not won the Heisman. Now the Tide have seen three winners in 12 years, Mark Ingram, Derrick Henry, and Devontae Smith. I believe neither Ingram nor Henry was the greatest player in the country the year they won the Heisman. Because I watched Ndamukong Suh dominate, dominate opponents as a defensive tackle at Nebraska in 2009. And I watched Christian McCaffrey rush for 2,019 yards on 337 carries. It's two fewer than Adrian Peterson in 2004 when he rushed for 1925. And that was all at Stanford in 2015 for McCaffrey. While Smith won every major positional award a wide receiver could win in 2020, with over 100 catches and 1,800 yards, he did that and became the first player in Alabama history to do it because Jalen Waddle had a broken ankle and hadn't played for 79 days. The best skilled player Saban ever produced is Amari Cooper. Cooper led Alabama in receiving with 59 catches for 1,000 yards and 11 touchdowns as a true freshman on a national title team. He led the team in receiving and receiving yards again in 2013, and he did it one more time as a junior when he became the offense. In 2014, Cooper caught 124 passes for 1,727 yards. The next best receiver at Alabama, DeAndre White, who had 40 catches for 504 yards. Cooper did all of that with Blake Sims, A.J. McCarron, and Jake Coker as his quarterbacks. Among them, only McCarron started a game in the NFL and he has only three starts in seven years in the league. Cooper finished third in the 2014 Heisman voting behind Marcus Mariota and Melvin Gordon. Trayvon Boykin, JT Barrett, and Jameis Winston rounded out fourth, fifth, and sixth place among vote-getters. It's no question who turned out to be the best pro among those six. With that kind of talent at his disposal, it's become an open question as to which team will stop the coach who has won six national titles in 11 years. 
Alabama was the laughing stock of college football when I was a kid, and I'm only 33. Had the CFP been around then, folks would have talked about Miami, Florida State, and Oklahoma the way they do today about Clemson, Alabama, and Ohio State. Then Saban showed up in the SEC for a second time and taught the tide how to ride this wave, get this drip, win championships. Although there have been contenders, most of college football has been trying to keep from drowning in Alabama's wake ever since. Oklahoma will be back, so will Clemson, Georgia, and Ohio State. Those are my bets to win a national title in the next three years. Until then, bear this in mind. Oklahoma, my team, has won seven national titles since 1895. Saban took two years to figure out that he isn't a pro football coach, and he's still won seven in 18 years. The GOAT argument is over, and that title was won by the aspiring car salesman. So, now, I want to talk with Pat Sertan, who is probably going to be one of these dudes that is drafted off this 2020 Alabama team and who was delightful to chat with about his time at Tuscaloosa, how he ends up there after growing up in South Florida, and what it has been like to be coached by his father, who was perhaps, not perhaps, who is the greatest player to ever come out of Southern Miss. Fight me. Let's talk with Pat. Patrick Sertan the second. Thank you for joining the number one ranked show. How you doing, man? How you doing? Thanks for having me on the show. No, I appreciate that. And you doing this on your birthday. Happy birthday, man. Yeah. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. You got anything you planning to do? Go out, do some stuff? Uh, Actually, I'm going to be at the house. My grandma going to cook like a home-cooked meal. So, you know, I'm planning on that. Um, but, yeah, I'm just going to enjoy myself, uh, chill for the rest of the day, uh, be with family and friends. Nah, that's what's up. So, behind your head looks like your father's Kansas City jersey. How does yeah. it feel for you to be chasing that legacy? Uh, you know, I just feel it's sort of an honor, you know, just looking at him play um, when I was younger and sort of uh, following his footsteps. You know, I just think it's a is the ultimate achievement to uh, get to where I'm at today. And, you know, I know he's proud of me. And, um, you know, I'm just going to keep on carrying that legacy on. How long have you been playing corner? Uh, I've been playing corner probably since I was in middle school, since, like, eighth grade. But I really started, like, playing it fully in high school, freshman year. So did you, your pops let you play other positions and then tell you what you were going to do, or did you make that decision? No, I made that decision. Um, Pops, you know, he was just uh, whatever was best for me. You know, but I just felt like, you know, I was good at other positions on offense, like receiving, running back, uh, things like that. But I just felt more natural at corner. And, of course, my dad, you know, having the pedigree, playing in the league for several years, playing that position, I just think that, you know, my um, intelligence from that position, I think it, it helped me, you know, going into the next transition to high school. Did you ever doubt your ability? Oh, no, I never did. Uh, I just felt like, because I know I already had the athleticism. I know I had the speed, the strength, the physicality. Uh, it's just, you know, just getting developed. And, you know, just getting the technique down and just being the best version, the best player of myself. So going to American Heritage and Plantation, where they're not even trying to hide it, 
coming up in Broward County, like, what is it like for you to know you come from this South Florida, really just recruiting hotbed, but where some of the best high school football play is played? Excuse me. It's like a, it's like a machine. It's like a factory in South Florida. We got talent year in and year out. Just knowing that coming from one of the top states of football in the country, you know, it just goes to show you the amount of talent that uh, each South Florida player brings to a college team. So I just feel like I was blessed to be able to be a part of a, such a, a wide, talented state. Because like of all the places that you had an opportunity to go, you decided to go to Tuscaloosa. How do you end uh, up going to Tuscaloosa when you coming from South Florida? Um, it was a, it was a different little atmosphere, but I felt like it was a business decision. Um, at the end of the day, I had to make the decision what's best for me. Uh, sort of just I understand what I was trying to bring to the college campus. Um, I was trying to focus on myself and you know just uh, have the best years of my life in college. And I just felt like Alabama provided me with that with the resources on and off the field. And all in all, when I look back at it, I think I made the best decision for me. So, um, you know, like the transition is a little different, you know, coming from Florida to Alabama, a little different scenery, but I got adjusted well and I was fine. Nah, man, I always say it's, it's a little bit different over there because my mom's graduated from Southern Miss where your pops went to go play, right? So I grew up watching your pops play. And the difference between Florida, South Florida, and Alabama is stark. But having said that, and you knowing that it's a business decision, how is Alabama different? How did you fit in? Uh, first off, I fit in, you know, coming from a winning uh, type of school at American Heritage. I felt like, uh, you know, Alabama, they got a winning pedigree, a great uh, program. I just felt like it was best for me to go over there, you know, because I got a winning mentality. And, you know, that they provided that for me, and I understood that. That's playing as and I'm com competing with five-star recruits, uh, top-notch, you know, going there each and every day. It was the best decision for me. One of the things I think is really just very cool and underrated about your game is you made 38 consecutive starts at corner, which is to say that you showed up as a freshman and were ready to play. How uh -huh. do you feel that has prepared you for the NFL? I think it prepares me a lot. Um, especially playing early at Alabama in the SEC. Uh, you know, I'm going against top NFL talent each and every week and each and every day, of course, in practice with the type of receivers we had. But, um, you know, I think coming into Alabama, I was prepared for it. You know, I was working hard for it. And I think when my name was called upon that uh, time, I think I was ready to play and compete. And now, now here I am, you know, just going to one of the biggest stages of my life. And, you know, I'm just ready draft day to my name called so i spoke with jalen waddle a little bit earlier in this process this nfl draft process and i asked him who was a better corner is it you or your pops and he said it was you how does that make uh -huh. you feel man that's a that's like a big honor you know my dad my dad was a three-time pro bowler uh shoot all pro all that but um I think you say that because, you know, we go against each other every day and uh, we get each other better. Uh, he bring the best of me and I bring the best of him out. So I just think that 
it goes hand in hand into what he's trying to say because you know each day in practice he know how I play and he's he's know what I'm capable of so I just think that's in his perspective that's how he feel so I was going through the wide receiver depth chart like a lot of folks that love this sport do and it occurs to me that you match up with Henry Ruggs Jerry Judy Jalen Waddle Devontae Smith John Mechie the list goes on but I'm asking you to pick one which one of those dudes was the coldest Ooh. wide receiver that you played against? Man, uh, it's crazy because, like, when you say that, people don't understand, like, how like how deep that roster really was because you have – you can't uh, relax and practice at all. You can't take a rep off. You got to go hard each and every play because each of them are capable of, you know, making uh, – embarrassing you. So, um, but – I don't know. I think all around best receiver, because uh, I went against Smitty like day in and day out. So I think you know me and him had our fair share. I just think he's the best all around. But you know they all got their own uh, qualities, their own traits. You know. What was it about Smitty that was most difficult to defend against? It's just that he's so fluid and he's so smooth in his route running. And he's so smart on the field. And I think that that's what separates him a lot because he understands defenses. You know, he's his senior year. I think he, of course, took his game to another level like um, like he hasn't already had been. But I think this year really showed like his his um experience in college. And, you know, he wasn't just out there running routes. He was dissecting the defense and understanding what was what they was trying to do to uh, stop him. So I just think that helped him. Uh, carries game to the next level this year. I want to talk a little bit about the guys on your side. All right. I want to talk about these true fresh. Well, they're sophomores now. Malachi Moore yeah. and Brian Branch. How good are those dudes? Man, they're very good. Very talented. They was young, but like going in towards the season, you know, they was playing like veterans out there. And um I think this year they're gonna even take it up another level because you know they more experience, uh, they got in the playbook more. And I think that, you know, at the end of the day, they're going to be high draft picks. So uh, look for their name as well. But, you know, I've seen when they came into Alabama, I've seen greatness in them from the start. So when I watch Alabama, I see you playing more toward the boundary more often than not. And the reason I put it that way is you also play some star, right? That nickel spot, which is where those two true freshmen had lined up for y'all last year. Do you feel more comfortable playing field, boundary, or that nickel slot position? I think I'm comfortable all over the field. Mm. I think my versatility shows on tape. Playing nickel, star, uh, corner, uh, all that. I just think that I can play any position because I'm comfortable with it. Um, I'm used to playing nickel, uh, off coverage, being in the box, you know, all that. Playing corner, outside, boundary. Uh, whatever team looking uh, for me because I can play many positions because of my versatility. How did you immediately adapt to COVID-19 in the middle of the year, playing an all-SEC schedule? What was your routine changed into? Um, of course, the off-season changed a little bit because we were so uncertain of how the season was going to go. But going towards the season, you know, we did regular summer condition workouts, uh, preparing. We had fall camp. Uh, we extended the fall camp because our season started like September. But uh, we had we did like the same type of routine, but it was just like on a different type of schedule. But um, 
us as a team, you know, we just understood our goals. We made team goals before the season. And uh, prior to it, we understand that COVID regulations and COVID rules, uh, we had to follow and do all the um, things that's necessary to make sure that we all healthy as an organization and keep the people safe around us. But, you know, we all had goals before the season that we set, you know, uh, into the season. I think we set them very high, you know, it ended us uh, winning the national championship. So you play against, again, these great wide receivers, but you also saw Mac Jones, Jalen Hurts, Tua Tonga-Valoa. Pick one. Which one is the most difficult to prepare for? Most difficult? I'll say Mac. Mm. Uh, it's just that his intangibles are crazy. Uh, he's so accurate, and he's so smart out there. Um, I think he was waiting his turn to uh, showcase it. But I think this past year he proved how accurate and how competitive he was. When you when you actually look uh, in Mac behind the scenes, he's so competitive and he's such a hard worker. And you know when I when I went in this season, I knew he's gonna have a special season just because of the competitive, how hard he worked. But um, you know out there in the practice field, he making sure he get extra work going in each and every day in the film room, getting extra reps after practice. And I think that set him up for greatness going into the next level. Do you have a story you could tell us about Max' competitiveness, you know, behind the scenes? Yeah, so uh, we, we have summer conditioning workouts. Um, and we usually run sprints, like probably like 20-yard, I mean, 20 110s or something like that. And every time I see him, he's up in the front. He may not be the fastest guy, but he's going to make sure he's going to be in the front each and every day. He just lead by example. And that just uh, goes to show you his character. You know, he's a, a natural-born leader out there. He's going to make sure was do what's best for the team. So in preparing to talk with you, I went looking at what some other folks had, had to say about you. And I'm going to read for you what Nick Saban told media about you. And I want to hear your reaction to it. He's never been in my office in three years for anything he didn't do. And he does things exactly like you lay it out for him. If you want to talk about accountability and responsibility, you're never going to find anybody that'll do it any better than he does. And the guy's got really good skills to play the position. He's very instinctive. He's got a great amount of length. He's got great size. He's a good cover guy. He's got really good feet. He's smart. He understands the game. He understands the offense and what they're trying to do. He's always very well prepared. For a man that loves his defensive backs and loves to coach his defensive backs and be the head coach to Alabama, what does it mean for you that Nick Saban is speaking all of these superlatives about you? Oh, well, it means a lot. You know, just understanding where he's coming from, you know, day in and day out. I mean, sure, I work hard uh, in the program, you know, just him developing me into a better corner. Um, but, you know, just gaining insight from him and, you know, just putting my trust in him, I just think that ultimately sets for what he had to say. Um, but like like he said, you know, I try to make sure I did everything right, you know, lead by example, uh, make sure I wasn't an example of anything, make sure I always did the things that's, done the right way and you know I think that goes to show um how I play in the games you know just and I think that enabled him to put trust in me where I do off the field 
and it helped translate and carries on the field. So, um, you know, just uh, him having high praise of me like that, coming from a uh, a high caliber coach and a all time goat. You know, I just think that you know I'm very thankful for him to be uh, that appreciative of me. Well, it wasn't always that you were going to go play for Nick Saban. Matter of fact, I'm reading Ed Orgeron's book, Flip the Script, and it felt like to him you were this close to going to LSU. How close were you to going to LSU? Oh, I was very close. Uh, it was like a it was like a split hair decision, I should say. It was a tight race, but um, all in all, I just sat down with my family, prayed upon it, and I did what was right to make the best decision for me. But all in all, it was a tight decision because you know LSU. Uh, it was like, it was like a natural, you know, school for me. I just felt uh, comfortable there. Um, you know, I visited there plenty of times. The Alabama came in the picture as well. And, you know, they they brought in the same situation too. You know, I visited there. I felt very comfortable. But all in all, it came down to my decision, and I think all in all, I made the best decision for me. What part of your dad's game do you think you most have? Um, I think his IQ. Um, I think um, both of our IQs are similar. We know what the offense is trying to do. Um, we go out there every day understanding, um, preparing right before the game, uh, going deep down into film study and understanding the cornerback position. I think uh, that's where his game and my game translate. I think about what it must feel like for your dad to be your head coach, and I shudder. Did you embrace that? Was that difficult for you? Um, well, before before high school, he actually coached me before um, mm-hmm. in uh, Little League football. So I knew what to expect. But I think since now high school is a higher level, uh, it's a bigger stage, I think. Uh, he was more hands-on with me. He was um, telling me right things from wrong things. I just think that um, him being the head coach, um, it goes to show how how much of a leader he was towards the team. You know, just watching him coach each and every game, you know, it helped motivate each and every one of uh, my teammates to go out there and play football. But, you know, him, him uh, being my dad and also being a coach, uh, it was a – Great thing. What was it like for you to be able to play and know that you had Josh Job on one side at Alabama and then in high school, Tyson Campbell? Like, there was no way to dodge you. And I think for them uh, as well, they felt that, right? There's, they did not want to be challenged, and yet they were. What was it like for you to be able to play with both of those dudes? And if anything, what did you pick up from Tyson? What did you pick up from Josh? Oh, it was great um, playing with playing with those guys. You know, they both high talented, high athletic athletes, and um, you know, I learned a lot from them. Uh, both of them got like the same body type, the same type of play style. Um, they're both competitive as well. Uh, you know, we work each and every day after practice, uh, off the field, uh, just to get each other better. But also, we build a great bond and relationship with each other. Uh, you know, those are my brothers for life. So. Uh, you know, whatever they need, whatever I need from them, you know, we're going to be tight. So I wasn't always locked into the idea of you being 
CB1 in this draft. And just being honest about it. And then Brian Kelly said, yeah. the Rose Bowl, we decided we're just not going to throw it, Pat. We're just, we're just not going to do it. And then you end up winning uh -huh. defensive MVP of the Rose Bowl, right? And that locked it in for me. But what does it feel like for another head coach to say, he's so good, we don't want to challenge him? Uh, you know, I just think that for him having high praise of me like that, it just goes, I just, it just goes back to what I've done, you know, my work ethic, uh, going towards the off season. But, you know, what I put on film and what I put on tape, I think it goes to show, uh, why he thinks like that. And, uh, you know, it's just my play style. I, I believe in, uh, locking down the opposing number one receiver. Um, you know, that's just the type of player I am and I'm high competitive. And, you know, just for another coach to say that about me, I just, it just goes to show what I put on film and how I play. Who are some wide receivers that didn't play at Alabama that you think don't get their due? Dudes that pushed you, dudes you didn't know had another gear or their route running was just that on point? Uh, uh, I think uh, Josh Palmer from Tennessee. Uh, I mention him a lot. Uh, he's a very stepped on receiver. I think he's a, a great route runner route runner but also he's a great vertical threat he's got uh he's got good speed um a vertical he's a great vertical threat as well um you know he gave me some problems throughout the game i think we both competed against each other at a high level uh, i think he's very stepped on so there are a number of kiddos that watch the show listen to the show and i'm always trying to find ways to incorporate them in so I'm going to give you this question. I want you to think about it from the standpoint of a middle school or high school player. What is some advice you would give a budding corner about their game, things to focus on that they can take with them? Uh, first thing I'll tell them is, you know, never get complacent. Uh, you always have room, room to improve on in your game. Um, and just always uh, put your head down and work. Just never uh, take anything for granted. Uh, take every opportunity that's towards you and just uh, do it your best. You know, when you go out there on the field or anything you do, do it your best. And I just think that that goes to uh, show on the football field, football field and in life. But for me, when I look back at it, when I was in high school, I, the most thing, the uh, thing I regretted most was just, uh, you know, I took a lot of things for granted. You know, I never knew I had the opportunity I had in high school playing at a high caliber caliber high school and just you know receiving all the the big time attention uh receiving uh different offers from different schools and stuff like that but um i think all in all when you go and look back at it you just never realize how blessed you was you know do you have a favorite nick saban story that you like to tell that you could tell us nick saban okay uh okay one story is that we was on the field. Um, it was hot fall camp, you know, and everybody's already like in a in a tight shell. You know, it's hot. Everybody's competing. We grinded. Uh, the next thing you know, uh, I went out there, and it was a play that they called, uh, and I wasn't very familiar with it. But um, then I went out there and I did the whole play wrong. Like I messed up the assignment, everything. The next thing you know, I even want to look back. <laughs> I look back, and then I see him throw his hat. You know, he got the big bucket hat, the uh, little leather hat. He threw it on the ground. And they say, you know, I, I, him, him is cussing me out, yelling at me, fussing at me. 
And next thing you know, I re- realized that, okay, I'm in Alabama now. Uh, I realized that, yeah, I'm getting coached by Nick Saban. But, you know, after that, you know, I understood what that he expected greatness out of me. And, uh, you know, when I look back at it, I think it helped prepare me for the best. Yo, man, ain't everybody built to receive that? Like, what is it like to be coached that hard all the time? Uh, it's a... It's something that you're going to have to grow into because sometimes you ain't going to like it. Sometimes you're going to feel some type of way about it. But at the same time, when he critique you, you got to understand that he wants the best for you. And, you know, just going on throughout my years at Alabama, I understood the reason into why he coached, coached us so hard. You know, he expect greatness out of each and every one of his players. And, you know, when we go on the field, uh, it just shows, like, how hard we work, um, you know, just – understanding uh what he says and how he wants to apply it on the field i just think that you know at the end of the day when you look back at it you look at it as like a um a sort of a step ahead uh going into the next level and that you always need to work hard and never get complacent do you have a welcome to alabama moment like when you knew that hey i'm not in plantation anymore i'm not playing high school football anymore this is real a welcome to Alabama moment. Um, okay, I remember it was actually my first my first workout. Uh, I, I never told nobody this uh, before, but it was my first workout freshman year. And you know, I, you know how high school be you you go to sleep, you wake up at a certain amount of time, but in college you better wake up fifteen minutes, twenty minutes before your workout, or else you're gonna be in um, in some trouble. So uh, I woke up, not knowing what the time was. Workouts were at 6.30 in the morning. So I woke up at like 6.32. I woke up to like 20 missed calls, uh, 50 messages uh, saying, where you at, where you at? Then I got there, and I realized, like, man, I'm in trouble. So uh, Coach Cochran, he was our strength coach at the time. Uh, he realized that I was late. Everybody knew I was late on the field. And he made an example out of me. He made me bear crawl the field, roll do all that, then he made me go back into the workout that everybody else was doing and made me finish the whole thing. So I, after that day, I never uh, I never was late. I made sure I was on time. I woke up probably like 15 minutes prior to the workout or meeting just to make sure that never happened again. Yo, man, I, I, could, I can only imagine. Like, I've seen Coach Cochran yell. <laughs> I've seen him be on people. It, it ain't nowhere I want to be. So I can only imagine what was out, yeah. like out there doing all of that work and then having to do more work. But you didn't quit, but did you did you call your dad and you'd be like, yo, man, I don't know if this is the right place for me? Nah, I didn't call him like that, but uh he he knew what happened and he mm. told him, man, you got you gotta get together. You gotta get yourself together. Cause uh he been in my shoes before, but college is a whole different ball game from high school. Uh whether it's in the classroom, on the field, you just busy all day and every day. Uh you just gotta prepare for, you know, just make sure you're on top of things and being well-organized on that. So have a little fun with this question, okay? I want you to build your perfect cornerback, okay? Attributes that you most admire of each player. And I'm going to give you three categories you could choose from, okay? So I don't want to prime you. So I'm going to use a running back as an example here. Size of Derrick Henry, hands of Alvin Kamara, speed of Christian McCaffrey. Who you got at corner? Okay. 
for so for corner, I'll say probably speed, like Denzel Ward, physicality like Ramsey, um, and probably just intangibles like Patrick Peterson. Ramsey, Patrick Peterson, and who? Denzel Ward, the speed. Oh yeah, okay, right. Went to from Ohio yeah. State to Cleveland Brown. Man, what do you like about Denzel Ward's game again? Uh, I just think he's very athletic, but I think he's very sound in his press fundamentals, and I think he's all around good corner. He's very underrated, though. Man, I'll say, like, you you pulled him out. So, a few rapid-fire questions, and then we'll get you up out of here. But, like, let's start with this. You know we like the superheroes here. You can see into the comic books. Which superhero are you most like? Superhero. I say Superman because he does it all. He's strong. Uh, he he flies and he's got supernatural strength. I think I compare to Superman. Which NFL player's game do you most respect? Uh, I respect Ramsey because I think uh, he was coming in with high standards, of course, but he he always competes at a high level, and he always going to team's number one receiver. That's what I respect most about his game. Who is the best leader you've ever been around? Best leader? Um, I say probably Devontae Smith. I just think that he leads by example, and a lot of people follow. And I think that's his main thing. He always keeps his head down at work. But when you look at it, you know, his receiving room, they follow what he did and his show on the field. A cornerback giving love to a wide receiver. Like, like okay, now I'm with that. I'm also with you. Pastor Tan, thank you so much for joining us here on your birthday of all things. I sincerely appreciate you, and I can't wait to watch you play in the NFL. Thank you. Appreciate you. So that was Pat Sertan, who is awesome and was kind enough to chat with us on his birthday. By the way, in case y'all are, you know, getting into some leisurely activity, perhaps you should know Pat Sertan, Baker Mayfield, and Chase Young were all born on April 14th, as the summer is arriving and, you know, we're going to open back up. And I'm just saying, I'm trying to help you, all right? Let me help you. Let, let me do this for you. I'm always looking out for you. Again, April 14th, that's the day. So, we're talking about the NFL draft. We're day at, man, we're day out. And I'm thinking, what are some of these players going to be like? Because the player comp, we all like, we like knowing where we're getting. And I tend to think the best of people. So yeah, I'm going to actually compare these guys to people that I think have been outstanding in the NFL because who wants to be compared to somebody who wasn't? Quite honestly, ask yourself that question. I walk into your job and I want to compare you to the guy that's actually mopping the floor. You're probably going to take offense to that as opposed to me comparing you to the guy that's running the company. All right? So bear that in mind. But the first guy that I want to talk about in this list of running backs that I'm going to compare is Najee Harris. All right, there's a lot of things to like about Najee Harris. 
and there's a lot of things to like about this comp. But at the top of the list is Najee's gonna say some stuff, right? Najee's so much fun, and he's always saying the right thing. Like, my favorite is him calling out a guy that covered him in high school at a playoff press conference telling him not to act brand new. Tell me who you are. I know, I know you. You covered me three years ago when I was in Cali. He's also the man that's going to show up here and tell you what he really thinks about the U.S. women's national team and how Megan Rapino is doing a great job of really standing up for herself, standing up for that team, and showing us the way. He's also the dude who is going to mock you, NFL draft analyst, if you don't think highly of him. I love this. I really do. But I love his game as much as I love his personality. And he's so good with the ball in his hands, but he's also so good at catching the ball out of the backfield that the cop here, I think, is a little on the nose. So much so that if it turns out the way that I think it's going to turn out for Najee Harris, you're going to be talking about him and this player in the same breath in a very short amount of time. And you can see this because Najee's the guy who could show up running and catching in the SEC championship game against the Florida team we all thought was pretty doggone good. He's also the guy that's going to go for all the yards and get all the buckets in a barn burner against Ole Miss. He is the kind of guy that you can put in a position to be your workhorse, whether that is seven yards deep in the backfield or whether that is splitting out, running the wheel route, catching the ball on the fly. That's why I think the comp for him it's Saquon Barkley, all right? It's about, one, you've seen the size of Najee's thighs. Have you seen the size of Saquon Barkley's thighs? I mean, they, they call the man Saquon. We're going to have to come up with a nickname for Najee because it's like that. But you've seen Saquon when he catches the ball in the backfield. You've also seen him when he gets just a little bit of daylight and how he can spurt right through it. And my favorite part of his game and Najee's, if they got a step on you, they keep the step. And they might add two or three. You're not going to run them down. They are not 40 to 60-yard tailbacks. They are 100-yard tailbacks. It's going to be wild for me to see who drafts him and who ends up with this outstanding tailback. The next guy on the list for me, Travis Etienne. All right? So Travis Etienne shows up to Clemson. Can't catch the football. So much so that I'm over here making Featherstone jokes because I love necessary roughness. But also because his own teammates and coaches nicknamed him Stone Hands. Yo! I get that he playing tailback. I get all of that. But you got to be able to catch the ball at this level in this era. And he took such offense to being called Stone Hands that that's what he made his career about here toward the end of it. Was catching the ball out of the backfield and being able to do something with it, right? And I get how some folks are already trying to make a comp to another NFL tailback. But when I look at him and I see what he's able to do between the tackles and how he is able to find space and you won't catch him either and how you can really make that man into a 30 carry a game back, not unlike Derrick Henry, but still get some more bang out of that with him being able to catch the ball in the backfield. Yeah, I can see it. I can see easily how a Travis Etienne looks a lot like Sean Alexander when he's at the Seahawks. Okay, Sean Alexander coming out of Boone. Sean Alexander was so cold in high school, coming out of Boone, 
that they retired his jersey while he was a senior. What? That's how cold you are? And then you would end up at Alabama doing Alabama stuff. And then, of course, you know, you get to the league and you become one of the best tailbacks to ever do it. All shouts to Sean Alexander. But I also think that Travis Etienne has the durability and the ability to be not just your bell cow back, but your star player. And that's not something we get to say about a whole lot of tailbacks. Matter of fact, take a look at the Super Bowl champs, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Leonard Fournette is not your star player. Ronald Jones is not your star player, okay? It's your quarterback, and it's that delicious assortment of wideouts, okay? And I'm classifying Rob Gronkowski and, and Cam Brate as wideouts here. And that's before we talk about what O.J. Howard might have been, right? And then you got Mike Evans out there. You got Chris Godwin out there. You got Scotty Miller out there. You got Tyler Vaughn. Like, yeah, the idea that you would have had a star tailback out there means that that dude is going to be on another level. And you know what? It would not be, wouldn't surprise me in the least to find out that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers would like to be in the Travis Etienne business because, quite honestly, which one of us would not? Okay, so the next player on the list that I want to talk about is Javante Williams coming out of North Carolina. You'll know that we had UNC coach Mac Brown on the show, and he had talked about Look, we got to replace 4,000 yards of offense because that's what we had. And I truly believe the best tandem of tailbacks in the entire country last year were at UNC. And one of them in particular was outstanding catching the ball out of, uh, out of the backfield, but also being shifty on his feet, beating people one-on-one, -on -one, and really doing the thing that Gail Sayers said you should do as a great tailback. Okay, Javante Williams and this player I'm coming to, both have this all the way. Gail Sayers said, you should be able to beat one man 100% of the time. He said, you should be able to beat two men 75% of the time. And you should be able to beat three men 50% of the time. That is what a great NFL tailback ought to be able to do. That's what Javante Williams can do. And that's why I think it's going to be really a tall task for British Brooks and Ty Chandler to replace the production coming out of UNC, but also why I think the team that drafts Javante Williams is going to get somebody who's a lot like a dude that came out of Florida State, showed up in Minnesota. All he did was replace one Adrian Peterson at Minnesota in Dalvin Cook. I see the comp there because of the size of the two of them, but also their ability to be breakaway tailbacks. They are game wreckers given the opportunity. Put that man in a great position to succeed, and he will do just that. Next dude on the list, you also heard from Trey Sermon, right? Outstanding interview, and really one of the, my most fun interviews, because there's just a whole lot going on there for me personally. Also, my man is come up to Buckethead. Like, if you're from Atlanta or you've been through Atlanta, you know Mechanicsville is not Buckethead. You know that College Park is not Buckethead. You know that North Gwinnett is not Buckethead, all right? That's what my man came up to. I love it. I love it. But also, what I love about Trey Sermon is he's gotten better, not just each and every year, but as the game goes along and as the season goes along. So I talked with a former running backs coach in the Big 12, and I was asking about some tailbacks around. 
And I said, tell me what the weakness is for Oklahoma. You know, it's my team, but I'm also just trying to ask. And it's like, they don't have a sermon type. I said, what's a sermon type? A sermon type closes your game for you. He is the guy you trust to hold the ball and to carry it all the way out when you got a lead. Okay, that's what the preacher man would do at Oklahoma. So what the preacher man was able to do at Ohio State, and you saw his his last three games, really, well, last two because Alabama didn't go so well. Uh, three games, yeah, Michigan State, yeah, Northwestern and Clemson. Last three games were his best games, all right? So much so that Ryan Day was out there saying, we didn't know what we had in this dude because he got here, pandemic hits, we're going through spring practice, but we're also looking around going, yo, I thought this dude was going to compete with Master to be our RB1, and we haven't seen much of that. And it wasn't going so well. But as he got more touches and he got more opportunities, he became the dude that holds the single-game rushing record at Ohio State, which had not been broken for 25 years and was held by a Heisman winner in Eddie George. Okay? That's what kind of talent he has. And he can catch the ball out of the backfield for you. The guy that I think that he is most like in the NFL is another dude. That needs a little bit of time, but given a little time, just like Novocaine always works, James Conner, okay? When James Conner's at Pittsburgh, I would look at this dude and be like, why did he keep feeding that dude the ball? Because with every touch he got, he would get more yards. He would get into the game and would become the guy that you would rely on late in the game to salt it away. I think Trey Sermon can be that guy for an NFL team. And the last guy on my running backs comp list, is Chuba Hubbard. So I got to see Chuba up close for the last three years, okay? I even got to see him and uh, Spencer Sanders and, and Tylen Wallace uh, get, get up there in January and tell everybody they're going to win the championship 2020. Probably wish they didn't do that, but I appreciate the cockiness because if you don't believe in you, don't nobody believe in you. I get all that, but you're also... Talking about Chuba Hubbard, who's coming off of 2,000 yards rushing at Oklahoma State. Last dude to do that? Yeah, he a pro football Hall of Famer. And quite literally the greatest tailback ever of all time. Barry Sanders is so cold, he ain't need no offensive lineman. A'ight? Like, we got jokes about Barry Sanders. We say, nah, my dudes never block. I think of Barry Sanders. Like, we got old jokes out there. Chuba had dudes that block. All right, so I don't want to make that mm, offensive lineman at OSU. Calm down. I'm not, I'm not doing that. I am saying that when he hit a hole, you weren't going to catch him. This is a man that was training to run in the Olympics in the 100 meters for his native Canada before he decided he was going to be a football player. Has that kind of speed. And I saw it as he wrecked the University of Tulsa for over 250 yards on the ground. Okay? And he kept doing that to everybody they played Throughout the season. I think people have forgotten how good Chuba Hubbard is. Because Oklahoma State fought toward the end. And he didn't come out just banging in 2020. It's also the reason why I think that somebody is going to just luck into. One of the better tailbacks that we've seen here in the past five years. Another thing I love about Chuba Hubbard and this comp to him. Is he has proven he also can carry the load. You want to give him 25 carries, he's good with that. You want to give him 35, he's good with that. He is fine being your offense. And he does not mind the defense knowing that they are coming after you. 
People that stack the box with Chuba Hubbard seven yards deep, and it does not matter. Last guy that I could think about who had it like that, Zaman Green. When Zaman Green was at the Green Bay Packers, yo, be like, hey, we're going to give it to the mans in the back, and we dare you to stop him. And for years, could nobody do that. These are all, I think, RB1s for any NFL franchise that wants to get them. But they find the right fit. They find the right situation. I think we're going to see these men surprise even you and I who are hardened college football fans. But those are my RB comps. Let me know what you think. Tweet us at number one show on the Twitters. We're also on Instagram, Facebook. And we always want to hear from you. And to show you that, one of my favorite things we do is take the best question I saw from folks that follow the show and decide to tweet at us. So I want to get to this question by one Caden underscore Gatro seven. I mean, y'all in this, this E-A-U-X spelling, like y'all trying to trip me up, but I, I see what you're doing. I'm not going to let you do it. His question is, will LSU make a New Year's Six game this year? Yo, man, look. LSU fans, we, you understand, we family. We family, I can talk to you. Because last year I told you, told you before the season began, y'all gonna catch five L's, okay? Didn't know which five L's. Could have counted on one or two, right? Alabama's going Alabama. But y'all caught exactly five L's, okay? This year, I think not only can you make a New Year's Six game, I think you can walk into this Alabama game undefeated. Because I'm looking at your schedule, all right? No disrespect to UCLA, but I've seen how y'all been recruiting, and I've seen how LSU been recruiting, okay? And the thing that held LSU back last year isn't talent, and it hadn't been talent for years. It's experience, okay? You had a bunch of folks that were brand new. You had a Joe Moore Award-winning offensive line in 2019. You had the best wide receiving core anybody had in 2019. You had Clyde Edward Delaire in the backfield. You had a Paycom Jim Thorpe Award winner in Grant Delpit at safety, and you had the best corner I'd ever seen in Derek Stingley Jr. Now Derek Stingley Jr., who was a freshman on that team, is a junior. He is an elder statesman, okay? You have dudes, all right? You got Mike Jones. Who? Mike Jones. Who? Mike Jones playing middle linebacker for you right now, okay? You have Eli Ricks who, along with Malachi Moore at Alabama, one of the best defensive backs in the sport today, you have three quarterbacks that have started games for you, but I think most people think that Miles Brennan's going to get the day one start because even after he got injured and couldn't play the rest of the season, he still looked like the best QB he had, and that's with T.J. Finley, who can throw a football over the mountains, and Max Johnson, who is the progeny, of one Brad Johnson. All he did was win a Super Bowl. And, you know, then you got Max Johnson showing up to the swamp and getting a W against the top 10 Florida team in his first start. And my favorite fact about that is LSU went in there with 55 dudes that could play when you needed 53 just to be eligible to play. And they still got a W. That is how talented they were and how much more seasoning they needed to have. Now, not only got that season of seasoning, you have a full spring, you get a full summer, and you get to open up against not Alabama, not Ohio State, not even a team that played in the Pac-12 championship last year. 
You get UCLA and you get to see what you're made of. And then you don't actually get tested until you get to your ampersand U game, a.k.a. Texas A&M, and Alabama. And when we look around, I could just as easily see LSU playing and getting that at-large bid in the New York uh, New Year's Six. It's not out of the realm of possibility for them to win 10 games or even 11. And because Alabama's not only breaking in a new quarterback, but a new offensive system, new offensive coordinator, we'll see. I want to see if Durante Jones can get that defense up to speed and ready to go against that Alabama team. So, yes, I think y'all got a shot to get to the New Year's Six, but you need to come out and beat the people you're supposed to beat. And then get lucky a couple times against teams that are as good as you, A&M, or maybe just a little bit more talented than you, Alabama, in a year where we expect Alabama to be reloading. We don't expect Alabama to compete for a national championship in 21. That said, I just gave you Nick Saban's resume, and I'm not going to bet against that, man. I'm just not going to do it. All right. That is our show for today. If you like the number one ranked show, please... Rate it five stars. Leave a review wherever it is you leave your reviews. Get to your podcast app. Let us all know. All right. There's...